A reading from 1 Samuel. The Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines was a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or bear came and took the lamb from a flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi 
and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the canticle. A reading from 2 Corinthians. As we work together with Christ, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry but as the servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way. Through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor Yet, make, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children. Open wide your hearts also. The word of the Lord. Please stand for canonical 13. 
reading from the Gospel according to St. Mark. When evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Boudreaux and Thibodeau went on a camping trip. They got to the campsite kind of late, so they unpacked, set up their tent, ate a quick bite, and went to sleep so they could get up early the next morning and go fishing. Some hours later, Boudreaux woke his friend up. Thibodeau! Look up at that sky and tell me what you see. Thibodeau replied, Meh, I see a gazillion stars. Well, what'd that tell you, asked Boudreaux. Thibodeau pondered for a minute. Astronomically speaking, he said, it done told me that there'd be millions of galaxies and at least a billions of planets. Astrologically, it done told me that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, it done been said to be about a quarter past three in the morning. Theologically, it's evident that the Lord be all-powerful and we just be small and insignificant. And meteorologically, it done say we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow to be gone fishing. Boudreaux was amazed with all that this Cajun knew about things. There was a long pause and Thibodeau said, Well, Boudreaux? What them stars telling you? Boudreaux was silent for a moment. And he said, Thibodeau, you couillon, can't you see that someone done stole our tent? <laughs> Sorry. It seems like old Boudreaux was looking at things a tad bit more simply than was Thibodeau. Thibodeau was concerned with all of the elements of the sky rather than seeing the simple truth of the missing tent. There is a danger for us when we come to Scripture for answers that we may look for the complicated, look for the obtuse, yet overlook the simply sublime and the obvious. For me today, there are three things that come from this Gospel in Mark, and I ask you to pardon the alliteration. Christ converts chaos into calm. Christ comforts his companions in their concern. Christ is in total control. Kind of a rhetorical question. How many of you have been in a real storm? I imagine most of us have suffered through a hurricane or two. Been on a flight with some heavy turbulence. Maybe a tornado or two in our history out here somewhere. Get out of the boat in the Gulf. Caught up in a storm. That list just goes on and on. But for a moment, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Imagine how they felt. Peter, James, and John were quite experienced fishermen. 
This was not the first weather event they had incurred, encountered. They're used to it. But this was no ordinary storm. This was the Katrina or the Harvey of storms on the Sea of Galilee. In another translation, Mark describes the storm as a furious squall, and the waves broke over the boat, and they were getting beat up pretty badly. And there was Jesus, fast asleep in the stern. For our study today, the sea represents the forces of evil that oppose God. It also acts as a boundary between the Jews and the Gentiles. Even though this sea threatens to end their life, Jesus wants to cross it. Because the good news of the gospel is not just for those on one side of the sea. Not just for those on one side of the aisle. The gospel is for everyone. The storm was quite upsetting. Alright, scary if you ask me. But so was the fact that Jesus was just sleeping in the stern. I likened this to when I was a child growing up. Thunder and lightning would keep me up. I just didn't like it. it made me nervous. And dad would just sleep through it. I wanted him to be up, be afraid like me, hopefully, or at least there to keep me safe and out of trouble. I think the disciples are the same way. They wanted Jesus up and awake. If we're going to die awake, you're going to die awake. They were afraid Jesus would abandon them during their crisis. Their heart of fear was created by their lack of faith. They abandoned God and Jesus the only two beings that are in control of the chaos of nature. The real source of their fear was their failure to recognize the true challenges of faith. Faith is never constant. It comes and it goes with varying circumstances in our lives. It's not easy. It's not simple. Faith has to involve some doubt, but it takes strength and courage to overcome that doubt. Too many people want their faith bundled up in this nice little package with a pretty ribbon and just handed to them when they want it or take it off the shelf when they need it. Faith requires work. It requires us to step out of ourselves. It requires us to step into trust and into care. When we lose our faith, we lose our hope and the ability to care. Fear wipes out faith completely. And it's during storms like this that we come to the truth of just how deep our faith is. Where faith reigns, fear cannot take hold. I kind of find that to be a wonderful picture of what Jesus can do in our life. There are many times when storms spring up, we find ourselves at a loss. We just don't know what to do. We don't have the strength, nor the courage, nor the ability to calm things down. You ask about a solution? Good question. We must take our care. We must take our concerns to Jesus. This is what prayer is all about. We read the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, one of my favorite passages. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are often called to think of the omnipotence of God. Many of the hymns portray the glorious majesty of God, so much so that there is a danger of forgetting that we have a God who loves us and who cares deeply for us. It's almost like a paradox. Sadly, 
I have been a participant in entirely too many funerals this year. We've buried four people at All Saints in Hitchcock in the last four months that I'm serving in as an intern, or I just served as an intern. I've buried three family members in the last three months. And let us never forget those that were lost at Santa Fe High School just recently. At these events, especially ones where I'm close to the family or, or people, they share their sense of loss and grief. It's like a magnet for me. My response is to take those feelings to God in prayer. And I get this response sometimes. God's got more important things to deal with than my little feelings and my problems. I don't need to bother Him. I'm very quick to respond. And sometimes catching folks by surprise. That by sharing, we have the ability to go to God in prayer for anything and everything that causes us pain, grief, sorrow, and yes, joy. God is always there. We see today that God truly cares and He's the one that can be bothered with our feelings of joy and grief. So the disciples woke Jesus, but He didn't tell us how He did it. They just went and got Him. Did they wake Him in a panic? Did they wake Him screaming, we're going to die? Did they wake him begging for help? Now, the way I see it, and this is just my little theological put on this, Jesus was annoyed when they woke him up. And I figure his response was loud and ebullient, Peace! Be still! A message not just for the storm, but those pesky disciples. Now, you can ask my wife, I have been wrong in my life once or twice. There is a possibility that Jesus just genteely got up like a good old southern gentleman would do. Peace, be still, in a calm and loving manner. But Jesus was a carpenter. I see things just a bit differently. Think about it. You're dead asleep, and people come to wake you up to handle something. So I'm getting woken out of a dead sleep. I'm annoyed. You come to me with a problem and I'm asleep, I'm annoyed. <laughs> In either case, Jesus spoke chaos, immediately became calm. God sent this storm to teach the disciples a lesson in faith. And we all know that he does the same to us, sending us trials and problems to teach us lessons. I speak from experience. In my current circumstance today, I know for a fact that I'm being taught a lesson in faith and patience. I'm failing that lesson, but I'm being taught it ever, ever so much. Each of us has a measure of faith given by God, and He wants us to use this to overcome fear, to put our trust in Him. Fear tells us to expect the worst, while faith tells us that God's in control. Our life problems are a call to us to put our faith into action. They reveal to us those areas in our life where we need to act in faith and not fear. If Jesus can calm the raging seas, imagine what he can do to the problems in your life. Jesus came so he could reach out to the social outcast. So he could heal those who are hurting in body, mind, and spirit. Jesus cared about the little things, like the embarrassment of the bride and groom who are running out of wine at their wedding. He cared about big things, like the lepers whose illness had banished them from house and home, from family and future. That care extends to us today, no matter what the circumstance or what our situation may be. 
Jesus reaches out to those who find themselves swamped by storms in their own life. That's all of us. Folks like us. Folks unlike us. The unemployed, the immigrant, the stranger. That brother-in-law you don't like. If Jesus cares for the least of these, many times He uses us as the liaison for that love, that care, and that concern for others. If we don't have the same faith in God the Father that Jesus had, then the image of Christ we reflect would not be an accurate one. We must muster faith and courage to allow Him to put us in work, to work on His behalf, to be instruments of love, peace, and charity. Jesus didn't put down the disciples for their lack of faith, nor did He do that to us for our lack of faith. Jesus should be the model and subject of believing faith for every Christian life. Another quick story. When John Wesley was sailing to America as a missionary, he found himself in his ship in the midst of a storm. He was scared to death, like I would be, and frantically seeking shelter aboard the ship. As he was searching for a place to hide, he came to, across a group of Moravians. They were singing and calmly praying. No fear, no panic. Even the children were calm, cool, and collected. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. And he asked them, where did their source of strength come from? And the simple response, they have Jesus as their Christ, Lord, and Savior. A turning point for Charles Wesley in his life and the beginning of a long friendship with the Moravians. Many other times, and we're like the disciples in the gospel, or like Charles Wesley on that voyage, we take our eyes, our focus off of Jesus, and we focus on the worldly storms in our lives. When we do that, our ship will sink every time. When we find ourselves in the midst of these storms of life, we feel that Jesus has abandoned us, but nothing is further from the truth. Jesus is with us. When life gets difficult, we must call to mind that our faith rests in Christ and that will help prevail our fears. Jesus is more concerned with teaching us how to trust through the storm than he is in calming the storm. I'm going to recall a familiar story, I hope a familiar story, as an illustration. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the stand, one belonging to him and one belonging to the Lord. When the last scene flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints. He noticed many times there were only one set of footprints in the sand. He noticed that this was also at the very low points in his life. This bothered him, and he asked God about it. He said, Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I need you the most, you would abandon me. The Lord replied, my child, my precious child, I love you. And I will never, ever leave you. During your times of trouble and peril, when you see just one set of footprints, Know that it was I that was carrying you. There are always going to be storms on the horizon in our life. 
It's only our faith, our trust, and our confidence in Jesus that will calm the storm before it arrives. We can't bail the boat out on our own while the waves continue to crash in and fill it again. We must go to Jesus as a solution. God equips us for the service of the storms of life. When they come, do we start bailing the water out on our own like the disciples? Do we bring our concerns to God in prayer, asking him just to bail the boat out? Or do we bring our concerns to God in prayer, asking and believing and trusting that he will actually calm the storm and save our life? Jesus is so ready, willing, and able to say, peace, be still in our life. We just have to seek him out. Remember Budo and Thibodeau and their little tent dilemma? We've got to ask ourselves, are we looking for the complex and the complicated? Or are we just looking for the obvious? Scripture is our compass. And like a compass, the more we use it, the more we understand it, and the easier it becomes to read and to understand. We must avoid the struggle of complex by spending time in prayer, spending time in study. We must find the hope, the encouragement, and the strength in Christ that we need to face these storms. Amen.